Hey everyone, welcome to this week's edition of All Things Evangelism, where we talk about all things that have to do with evangelism. And this week's episode is on how to deal with disappointed expectations in evangelism. We often have big dreams and big visions. We often think about if God's with us, then who can be against us? And so we just expect that everything we do is going to be blessed with amazing success. And when that doesn't happen, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to be a bit confused. So I just want to talk about that today. And I've got my good friend, Kate Geriga here. She works in the evangelism department with me. She's my right-hand woman. <laughs> and thanks for, for joining me, Kate. Oh, you're welcome. And Kate's a bit nervous because she doesn't like to do, she's a very prepared person. That's why she works with the evangelism department, because most of us evangelists are fly by the seat of our pants people. Yes, and that scares me. Yeah, and so we need people like Kate who are more planned and organized and, um, yeah, precise in how they do things. But thank you for doing this quick. Ah, oh, you're welcome. Because we, we had to record this episode, and, and she just jumped in. She filled in. <laughs> so thanks so much. So, Kate, have you ever had a circumstance in which you were really disappointed, like whether it be at the local church where you were doing a mission or some kind of ministry and it really didn't meet the expectations of the group or yourself? Oh, definitely. One that comes to mind is doing Bible studies with this beautiful lady who I just really wanted to share all the stuff that I have. And she just said, I'm so sorry. I think that's enough. We don't need to study anymore. Don't come back. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> Not what I expected. No, no. Although she did give me a little hint the week before saying, really, we have to go from Revelation all the way back to Daniel? Can't we just stay in one book? <laughs> so I think she was getting a little fatigued from um, ah, so going so the there. approach to the study. She wasn't really feeling it. She was just thinking, let's just read. Yeah. Did you try to modify the study? Just curious when she said that. We did. We did, especially just staying close to the same book. Yeah, we did. <laughs> gotcha. So there was a disappointed expectation. You did not expect that would happen. No. I've, I've had similar circumstances where I really had high hopes for someone and I just thought, man, this person's moving forward. They're accepting truth. They're growing in their experience with God, and then all of a sudden, boom, they disappear, or their ex-girlfriend comes around, or yes. just something pulls them away. They go on holiday, and then I don't hear from them again. They start ghosting me. This has happened on many occasions. Or I'm doing evangelism with an awesome church, and everyone's fired up, and they're, the advertising is fantastic. There's tons of contacts yeah. in the community we've developed through community services, and there's lots of Bible studies going on. And then we do the series, and it's like, very few guests and say, yes. like, oh, this isn't what we expected. Yeah. Who's the Aiken in the camp? You know, just... Yes. Yeah, I've had that experience as well. Optimize your brain. I think five people came to the information night and we just letterboxed, I don't know, 2,000 flyers and shared about it on radio. And I just, your heart just sinks. Well, who hasn't been on a church board? Well, lots of people haven't been, but who hasn't been on a cir in a circumstance where the church has invested a whole lot of money yeah. in a certain mission outreach program or just something where it was like, oh, well, this amount of money was spent and these were the results? Yes. Uh, that's not a lot. Like, what, what are we doing here? We're doing so much for apparently so little. And, and that's why we're talking now is to talk about how to deal with this. You and I, we were talking with one of our Bible workers last week and the week before who was really struggling with discouragement because they had been studying with people who weren't who were like on the verge of making great decisions, but then were pulling back. Mm. And that was really emotionally challenging yeah. because this woman was, this young woman is investing her whole life. She's 
rearranged her whole life around mission for God, and she's doing nothing with her life but looking for people to share Christ with and the truth of Scripture with. And then it's, and then she's, and so not, it's not a mechanical exercise. It's not just like an academic exercise. It's I'm loving these people and I'm doing everything I can yeah. for them. Yeah. And then they'll just ghost me. Mm, yeah. Just, that's disappointing. Yes. After all the time and energy and prayer and finance and everything. And it's just like, oh, please just love Jesus like I do. Exactly. No doubt about it. There's a lot that we've said a little bit and we can now talk about what do we do. And I think this topic of what do you how do you deal with disappointment and evangelism? It just really connects to the, just the conversation about what do you do with disappointment, like in life. Because it's going to, but then it's a unique application. There's probably a unique approach to dealing with disappointment when it's evangelism, right? Because you've got God in the equation. Yeah, the average person has to deal with disappointment all the time. And we can talk about that. And there's going to be some carryover from each of those subjects or those topics. But in the context of evangelism, there's that extra element of, no, no, we had God on our side. Yeah. And we expected, because of what God's Word says, to have this outcome. So it's a little more complicated when you're dealing with disappointment from not getting what you thought you'd get from mm. your evangelistic efforts. Yeah, most definitely. Right? Yeah. So where do we begin? How do we get into this? Like, what, <laughs> what, what do we do? How do people, how, what advice do we have to those who listen to us on this subject? Do you want me to go first or do you want to dive Yeah, in? you can go. <laughs> you first. Oh, boy. Yeah. Listen, when we survey Scripture, we do not just see success in the worldly sense from the efforts of missionaries and evangelists. It's not what you see. Ezekiel preached to the Israelites and got very little results. If you read the beginning of the book of Ezekiel, God says to him, you're not going to a foreign nation, people who speak a strange language. I'm sending you to my people. And you know what? Whether they listen to you or not, tell them what I tell you to tell them. Yeah. And then he says that two times. And then he says to Ezekiel, oh, and by the way, they're not going to listen at all. But you're going to tell them so that they could know that there's a prophet in Israel. So mm -hmm. in other words, God says to Ezekiel, his prophet, the person who will speak for him, he says, I want you to speak and preach just so that in the final analysis, it can be understood by everyone mm. that they had a chance. That's enough reason for me to send you. So that's a possible outcome. Maybe you're an agent of God that he is using to deliver a message because he just wanted to give people a chance. Yeah, to be fair. That's right, to be fair. And because he's just that kind of guy. He's not the kind of guy who would let people pass into oblivion without giving them a chance. They need to know that there was a prophet. They need to have the opportunity to hear God's message. And so that's part and parcel to evangelism. Sometimes you're a testimony. Sometimes you're just a voice. And we should be okay with the fact that God would call us at times to just simply proclaim a message because that message needs to be proclaimed mm -hmm. so people had a chance, right? That's, so that's one outcome. Mm -hmm. You get no results. And that, that shouldn't be a surprise at times that you get no results, no numeric results, or no one hears you and responds to you. Mm -hmm. that there's a time and that happens. And appropriately, when I say not appropriate, it's never appropriate because people should respond, but that's an expected outcome mm -hmm. at times. That's one. Yeah. So one way to deal with it is to realize that in Scripture, God's people— God's men and women who proclaim his evangelistic message don't are not always received gladly, and they do not always get results, no matter how committed to God they are, that's and no right. matter how much God is with them and what they're doing. Mm, that, yep. That's a part of the whole reality. So mm. we need to be more realistic in our expectations and understand that not every time we do evangelism, we're going to get massive results. Right. Yeah. I guess another thing to think about is 
learning. What can we learn? Maybe we're not getting people's attention in one way. Let's find out how to meet them where they're at. What are they needing? That's a good question. Absolutely. Yeah, that's brilliant. What if God is taking us on a journey and it's an educational journey where we're developing our abilities? So what if evangelism isn't just about us winning others? What if it's about God training? And what if it, what if we got into a circumstance and got to, our, the results we obtained were too easy so that we never had to improve? So I'm a preacher. I preach an evangelistic series. There were 10 visitors there. No decisions were gained. Do I blame God or do I say, maybe I've got to grow? Yep. Maybe I need to pray more and be more consecrated. Maybe I need to develop my sermons better. Or maybe I need to learn how to make better appeals. Maybe I needed to do more visitation. And there's, it's just real easy to assume that since God's involved, everything's just going to fall into place. Mm-hmm. And our effort and our work doesn't come into the equation of whether or not we'll get success or not. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah. So I'm not saying that always the results are God. Or Paul says, I planted Apollos water, yeah. but then God gave the increase. So it's always God gives the increase. But Paul planted, Apollos watered, and they probably did the best possible work they could. It was probably quality ministry that they performed. And they wouldn't have seen the outcome, all of the outcome at once. So you don't always see, you might have planted the seed and somebody else waters, and then you don't see anything, but in heaven, you'd be able to say, oh, you're here. Fabulous. That's it. So maybe you're part of the larger process. Yeah. Okay. So just to review real quick, number one, we should broaden our expectations or we should open ourselves up to the possibility that it's not just success that is it, you don't just get success because you do evangelism. And there's tons of biblical examples of godly, spirit-filled people who are commissioned by God to do outreach ministry, and they get stoned. Right. But they shouldn't be disappointed in the sense that they did something wrong or they shouldn't have been doing what they were doing. No, they shouldn't be discouraged. Maybe disappointed, but not discouraged. So that's point number one, and I use the Ezekiel analogy. And then point number two is... Learning, <laughs> learning. Yeah, it's maybe part of learning, and God's trying to develop us to make us better at what we do. And number three, you just said it, it was really good. Well, you don't see the results. Yeah. The results may be coming at some point in the future, and maybe you're part of a larger process that God's working with. You're one of many people who God will use. Mm, That's really good. Maybe it's like a a battering ram in the ancient cities, and how they'd have to hit the wall like many times. And maybe your effort in that particular occasion was just one time that the battering ram hits the wall. Yeah. The gates of hell. That yes. are holding people in. <laughs> yes. It's like you banged against the wall once. Like you maybe got to bang 10, 15, 20 times before the wall crumbles down mm. and you can get in that city. That happens. That's Definitely. part of it. Yeah. I just think about the great disappointment and I can't even imagine what they were feeling just gearing up to see Jesus' face, real thinking that he was going to come in 1844. And then that disappointment, and I've been reading about it in Great Controversy, and it's just some people lost their faith because it was such a disappointment, they didn't know what to do with it. But then other people, they were like, we were right on the date, we were right on such and such else, there's got to be more, I just give me something more, Lord. And so instead of giving up, they were resilient, even though they were sad. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. Adventism itself was born out of disappointment. Yeah. So was Christianity, by the way, the great disappointment of the disciples. Uh, right. right, dying. Yeah. Well, they're, they're like on this mission to usher in the Messianic kingdom, and it wasn't a part of their view that Jesus would be crucified, and then he is, and they're terribly disappointed. Because he didn't then, save them from the Romans. That's right. <laughs> and then what was born out of that disappointment was kind of further, further growth and further understanding and then, boom, you get the Holy Spirit and the church is born out of disappointment. So 
the disciples are disappointed, that Jesus gives them a, a Bible study, two of them. It says he shows them from Moses and all the rest of the scriptures, things concerning himself. So they reevaluate the scripture after they're disappointed, and then they interact with Jesus a little bit further. They learn a bit more, and then boom, they go back at it. So if we take that as a metaphor or as like a, a template for our learning, the early Advent disappointment and the early Christian church disappointment, we could say, okay, we have a view of how things are supposed to work. We have a perspective, and that's developed in us expectations. And so we realize that we're not God. We don't have all vision and all knowledge. And so it should be expected that we'll face circumstances where we're disappointed. Mm. Okay, so let's reevaluate Scripture. Let's get back to the Word. Let's interact with Jesus a little more, and then let's get back at it Mm. and see how we go. Sometimes there's a real attitude of, I don't know how to say this, but sometimes I notice that we can be quick to... We can be easily discouraged, and I don't know the word that I'm looking for. It's just it's just leaving me. It's not in my... Anyways, we can be very fragile yeah. and easily discouraged as a church member. Very sensitive. Like, yep. oh, I tried this, and that didn't work, and yeah. I tried that, and that... Eh. And it's we can put a ton of pressure on ourselves and be super sensitive and be very fragile and be get discouraged very easily mm. when our expectations aren't met. And I think what needs to happen is conversations like this where people who have a little bit of experience and who know the ropes say to teach the rest of the church, hey, just so you know, like you strike out a lot before you hit a home run. Like Mm. it's just part of life, right? Like you don't pick up a basketball and then go slam dunk it. Like you don't, it's not how it works. Like you got to play the game a bit. And after playing the game for a while, you learn a lot. I think Jesus is so into us learning and growing, right? Like he doesn't just magically give you excellent ability to do things. I think it's part of his plan to teach us. It's part of his plan of educating us to just let us get modest or very little success at times because that's it's training. We're growing. Yeah. And it's interesting because if somebody didn't reply to my messages or show up to my ha- plans that we had, I would just think I'm here when they're ready. But when it comes to Bible studies, I have so many times people cancel at the last minute and it's like, oh, let's reschedule for next week. Oh, next week comes. <laughs> no, sorry, can't do it. And I find that in the past it was just about me and my feelings, but now I'm more resilient for the gospel. And so I will chase people <laughs> that I, I just never would before because it's got eternal ramifications. And that was a test for you, I would say. Right. Wouldn't you say yeah. that God was testing you? Because you had a decision to make. You had a choice to make. And that was, you know, just decide that this is not a good, this, God wasn't with me or this just doesn't work. People yeah. in this world are so postmodern and relativistic that the gospel can't have an effect anymore. That you could have decided that that was the case. Or you could have decided, no, no I'm going to up my game. Mm. I'm going to push harder. Yeah. I'm not going to be discouraged. So you chose, in my estimation, to make the best possible decision. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. Yeah. But God gave you a chance to give up. You know, you ever heard of the Navy SEALs? Yeah. Okay. So I've, I know a few guys who've gone through that training, like two or three guys. And there's a week in their initial training called Hell Week. And it's insane. It's just absolutely nuts. No sleep? Oh, no sleep for a week, basically. Oh. And you can, they let them sleep, but it's okay. So you put on these little short shorts and it's like winter time in Southern California. And that would be that would mean that it's about as cold as it would be, say, yeah, in Sydney, like in the winter, mm. which it's not too terribly cold. But if you're just in shorts for a week outside, exposed oh. to the elements, like it's gonna be pretty gnarly. And so they're just doing the exercises probably twenty hours of the day, just straight. And the whole and these guys will tell me that they, they told me the friends that I know that went through this training. They say, look, man, 
the whole time, the whole time, the, your instructors, they're just like, all you have to do is ring the bell. You ring the bell, you're done. Right. All the suffering stops. All the difficulty stops. It all stops. And they say that they'll feed you, but it's just really terrible food and really modest amounts. So they'll just give you enough calories. They science, they know like how much calories you need to just not die, mm. right? So they give you just enough food so to keep you on the edge of passing out. That They say that people are hallucinating, mm. actively hallucinating for hours at a time. You say, they, my friend Carlos, who went through it, he said that there were days, entire days, 24-hour periods of time, he was completely convinced he was going to die. Oh, just completely convinced. You're sleeping on the beach at night. You're all huddled together. They're urinating on each other for warmth. Like he said, all of the sensitivities you think you have about cleanliness and all this, he's like, you just have to live. He's like, it's terrible. They're dropping you off in the middle of the ocean. You're miles out in the ocean. You've got to swim to shore. And oh, just do it constant for days and days and days. Mm. And then he said, the instructor shows up. You're starving. You haven't eaten for three days, basically. And he's got like donuts and a coffee. He's like, God, oh, just went to the coffee store. You want it to end. Here you go. Mm-hmm. And they constantly give you opportunity to quit because they want to know how much do you really want to be a SEAL. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> right? Like, how important is salvation? <laughs> that's right. How, how much are you committed? How much are you really committed to the salvation of others? And mm. that's the test God gives us. And we get into this and we're just, we have these unrealistic expectations assuming that I'm going to be a Navy SEAL for God, and I'm going to go do exploits around the world, and we're going to save the lost. It's going to be like Pentecost again. <laughs> and then Jesus is like, okay, cool. Let's, you want to get into that? Sweet. Let's do it. Let's do some evangelism locally. And then you do it, and you're one of those Navy SEAL trainees, and you're like, I'm a bit cold, and uh, <laughs> I'm feeling hungry here. And he's like, hey, you want to quit? Just ring the bell. Yeah. You want to quit? No problem. Right? Like, mm, it's a test. Yeah. It's, it's a test. And yeah. we oftentimes fail to realize that God is testing us all the time. Mm. Not like a, a guy who wants us to fail, but who's trying to help us to discover whether or not we're really sincere, right? Because yeah. every single Navy SEAL who survives that training, they survive it knowing I was willing to pay the price to become what I am. And the mission of the United States Navy, the mission of the Navy SEALs, it means enough to me that I'll commit everything that I need to commit to, to perform it, to fulfill it. And uh, th- those Navy boot camp guys who are like their SEAL instructors with the donuts trying to get them to ring the bell. In their heart of hearts, they don't want those guys to ring the bell, but they're testing them. Sure. Because they need to ensure that the SEALs that we have on our team, they know what they're getting into. They know who they are and they know what they're willing, they know what this is worth. And if they don't know that, they don't they don't need to be on my team. Yeah. Wow. It's hectic. I never thought of that before in the mm. context of evangelism, but it's true. Hey, what do you think when you hear someone say, oh, we spent like 10,000 bucks on that evangelism series and we only baptized three people. For those three people, it's amazing. Like it changed their lives. They're eternally saved because of that. And God would have sent his son for just one person. So yeah, what is the value of one soul? That's right. Mm-hmm. So does that mean then we can spend a million bucks and just win one person and feel okay about it? I guess we want to share the gospel in a in a way that's going to have a lot more result <laughs> because obviously we don't just want to be in heaven with one person. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, it's like equal tension. Like it's like a balance. Like you, you don't want to get satisfied and say, because each soul is infinitely worth, worthy to, infinitely valuable to God, then we're just going to spend a million bucks and be satisfied with the fact that we want one person. We want to maximize our effectiveness and utilize resources as effectively as possible. But at the same time, we don't want to have the attitude that a person's not worth it. Right. Yeah. Right. Like well if, it's almost if you had a rescue service and someone's stuck in a well and it cost a million bucks to get them out of the like nobody goes, 
man, we spent a million bucks and it took a million bucks to get that guy out of the way. We should have just left him in the well to rot and die. Nobody says that because no. everyone knows that we should do whatever we have to do to save that one person. Mm-hmm. But if we could have saved that one person for $10,000 rather than a million, mm. that'd have been better. Yeah. So why not do both? Because then you have a lot more money to try to rescue other people that are in a well. Or if, yeah, if 10 people were in that well and we only rescued one of them, <laughs> that would be pretty sad. Yeah, that's right. Especially mm-hmm. when nine, the nine others could have yeah, saved, right? Definitely. It's like a kind of equal tension. And I, so I think we got to make sure that we don't allow our covetousness that is to say, our love of money, our covetousness for more money or to have lots of money, we can't let that stand in the way of us spending the money we need to spend to win people. Mm. Because Jesus spent a lot to, to he, it cost him a lot to win people, to mm. save people. So I think we need to keep that in mind and never, be, never let our money love trump our love for other people mm. and be willing to spend what we need to spend for the sake of others. But at the same time, then balance that out with, we're going to be as responsible as we can be with money good stewards of money and try to use it to win as many people as we can. Mm. I think that's a fair mm. way to do it. Yeah. But yeah, good stuff. Man, I'm, I've enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Yeah, it's not too scary, is it? <laughs> um, I guess not. <laughs> when the words come. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. You know, It's funny. Hey, yeah, but uh, you're doing great. You shared some great insights. I've really loved it. And okay, so I see that you have a little piece of paper there. Is there anything you wanted to share? Any gems or insights? One thing that I wrote down was about the blood on our hands. I remember reading, and I can't remember which prophet it was, but the concept of, okay, God has asked you to do this. If you do it, the blood won't be on your hands. Like their blood will not be on your hands. But if you don't do it, then it will be. And it's just like, wow, we are gifted with the honor of sharing salvation with other people. And if yeah, please finish my sentence. No, no. <laughs> not at all. Can you please go ahead. Yeah, look, I know. Yeah, it's Ezekiel 18, and okay. I think around chapter 33. Yeah, God basically says, if I warn the wicked, if I ask you to warn the wicked and you don't warn him and he continues in his wickedness, he's going to be responsible for his own actions. But yeah. at the same time, I'm going to hold you partially responsible as well. Like, I'm going to hold you account to account too, because you didn't give that person a chance. Mm. And, but if you warn them and they don't turn, they're going to perish for their iniquity, but at least their blood's not going to be on your hands. And then Paul says the same thing in Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders. He says, I'm free from the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare to you all of the counsel of God. Obviously that's, we got to take that in the context, right? You've got a prophet and an apostle who's a prophet and they have a charge by God to go do a certain ministry. And they're saying those things in the context of their personal ministry. And so... I, I'm not called to be Ezekiel necessarily. I'm called to be Matt Para and right. Vice and your Kate Garriga. And God calls you to your ministry and he calls me to mine. And if and that principal point applies to us. It's not specifically the same as like Ezekiel and Paul, because we're different people with different ministries, mm. but the same point applies, I think. The same underlying point. And that is that I'm called to a certain ministry and a certain testimony. And if I fail to give that message, it's gonna mean that there are people lost. And I might not like that. Like, I may not like the fact that's the case, but it is the case. Mm. And I know that some people might balk at that because, you know, I've heard actually sermons like against this idea where people say that's just guilting, that Um. you're just guilting people into doing evangelism. And I just say, if I were to say to you, you have children in your house and if you don't feed them, they'll starve and I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Am I guilting you into feeding your kids? (laughs) Like... What, what are you talking about? Like, it's if, appropriate. <laughs> if you love God and if you love those who he loves, why do you have a problem with the fact that you have a responsibility towards your fellow man? Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, 
if I say to you, if you don't pay your taxes, then someone who needs Centerlink benefits isn't going to be able to eat. Are you going to say you're guilting me into paying Centerlink my taxes? No, I'm just saying that there's certain social obligations that we carry as human beings. And in the context of salvation, they're even greater and there's consequences for actions, for choices. And I accept that. And I don't accept that because I think I've I've perfectly succeeded. I accept that because it's just the truth. Like I can't see any, that, that it's not true. And I have to repent for that. Like for, yeah. So I, I, I agree. I think you're right. I think it's, I think it's important. I think if we as a church fail to tell people what God is telling us to tell them, then they can be lost because of it. And then someone would say, but then you're saying God's not fair because God's uh, not giving everyone equal opportunity for salvation. Yeah. Big okay. Topic. Yeah. It's a big topic. But now I know I'm putting you on the spot and you don't want to be put on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot anyways, because everyone loves you. And <laughs> when they're listening to you on the podcast, they're like, she's great. Why is she worried? <laughs> but what would you say? Do you have any thoughts in response to that? I do. But if someone were to say to us in response to what we're saying, that is Ezekiel is told by God that the blood's going to be on his hands if he doesn't do what God's asking mm-hmm. him to do. And then somebody saying in response to that, okay, well, that's not fair. Because are you saying that God is now dependent upon me? And then that person isn't going to be reached by God, reached out to in some other way? Yeah. I think we just play our part and true to what God has put on our hearts to do in ministry. He's got a thousand ways of ministering to to people. But I don't know, something that just came to my mind was that it's not just for the other people. Yes, he could have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D, but it's for me personally as well. Well, what if you're the last opportunity? And what if, hypothetically, let's say that God peers into the future with his supernatural ability and he sees, okay, yeah, I'll do this to try to reach this person and I'll do that. He's constantly at work. The Bible says he's not far from any one of us, right? The spirit is given to the world to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we all know the Spirit is the internal witness of the truth, and he's given to everyone, not to the same extent and degree, but you can't even come to faith mm. unless it's revealed to you of the Father. Well, by what spiritual mechanism is that revealed? The person of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God is working on all people's hearts everywhere. So there's not just plan A, B, C, D, E. There's probably plan one through a million mm. to bring someone to true, genuine faith in Jesus. So of course, but what if God's peering into the future and he sees like the million ways he's going to try to reach you? And there's one way that's that there's an interaction that's necessary to their eventual salvation. And you're a part of that plan mm-hmm. and you fail to do it. Like you just have to accept that God is working with reality as it mm-hmm. is. He is all powerful, but he's playing by the rules of engagement. We're, there's free will here. There's real free will, which means there's real consequences. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And this idea that it's not fair unless everyone gets the exact same amount of opportunities to be saved, that's just not true. That definition of fairness doesn't exist. That's just like a man-made definition of fairness where we say that I have to get what everyone else gets or else it's not fair. Mm. That's a childish view of fairness in my opinion. Don't you yeah. think? My children are like, hey, you gave him like more than you gave me. Why didn't you give me the exact same as he got? And I'm like, because he's like nine and you're four. Yes. He needs more nutrients. Now, his little brain doesn't realize that what he thinks is fair is him coveting what everyone else has. So I think human beings' view of fairness is based on their covetousness and their inability to accept that other people get sometimes what they don't get, and that's okay. 
And you don't have to get what everyone else gets for life to be fair to you, you know? Right, yeah. Because you're a sinner and didn't deserve to come into existence anyway. You know right. what I mean? Like, yep. fair, what does that mean? It's not fair for you to get a million chances to be saved anyway. So this whole idea that it's not fair for one person to get less opportunity to be saved than another person, I think that's silly. That would be like saying, you didn't deserve any chance. To, you got 50 chances to be saved and I got 40, and then that's not fair. Like, why not? What do you mean? Like, we both got the opportunity. We had a whole life of opportunity to be saved. And the Spirit was working with us all our whole lives. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But God is simply saying, if you as someone who works alongside of me, if you fail to do your responsibility, you fail to be who you profess that you are, and that is to say my spokesperson, my witnesses, my light to the world, if you fail to do that, you're partially responsible for those that could have been saved had you done a, your work. I don't see what's wrong with that personally. I mean, it's heavy. It is heavy. Yep. It's heavy. But then again, it's does it depend on me? Not necessarily. It depends on me submitting to God and yeah. doing what he's asking me to do. And then the results are up to him. So it's not as if the pressure's on me. Guys, I could be wrong about this. You could disagree with me here. And maybe I haven't communicated perfectly. But I don't know. Does that make sense what I said? Definitely. I mean, yep. not trying to put unnecessary burdens on people. I just think that's what the Word of God says. Any closing comments? Not for me. God bless you, Kate. <laughs> hey, listen, guys, it's a blessing to spend this time with you each week. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope that our conversation, to some degree, can help you deal with the natural disappointment that can come when you do evangelism. Really, ultimately, God wants us to be encouraged because he really ultimately doing evangelism is an act of worship. It's, a, it's an act of worship to God. It's a relational event where we're all partnering with Jesus to go on a journey in attempts to minister to people and to win them to, to him. And whatever part we get to play in that, it's an honor. We should see it as a, as a great privilege and as an honor, not a burdensome responsibility that um, is like kind of the spiritual equivalent of kind of slavery or drudgery. No, we should just love the Lord, love those who he loves, and realize this is an awesome responsibility, but it's a huge privilege. Anyways, God bless you guys. Have a fantastic week. And uh, hey, respond to the email if you have any uh, feedback to give us. Thanks so much, guys, and God bless.